That's Jennifer Lopez there, and if you have my love, it's Richard Bobson here until midday today. So I'm really excited. The boss of the station, Steve Fountain's coming back in. Now, we had him in a few months ago, and we heard all about his story, which is a story to tell, which is the whole point of the show. And we learned all about the fact that he's been a radio in radio for about 40 years or so. And there was one little bit he said, and he said, Ah, oh, I did get adopted back in 1954, but that's a whole other story. And I said, Ah, oh, you'll have to come back in. So that's what he's done. He's going to come back in about half past 10 or so, and we're going to hear all about his story to tell, which is about being adopted back in 1954. We're giving his birthday away. I'm aware of that. Done that right out from the blocks. Uh, if you have any questions for him, you can text in to Bath, followed by your message to 80011, or email, of course, at studio at radiobath.com. But today's all going to be about adoptions, which I'm really looking forward to. The Nursery Hilberton, proud sponsor of The Morning Show. Now, I'm not sure if this is going to amuse or annoy Robbie Williams, but we're currently watching his Netflix documentary, which I think is really interesting, and uh, had quite a bit about Take That on there. And myself and my wife were like, oh, what Take That up to these days? And we looked, and they're on tour, and we booked some tickets for them for Bristol next year. So watching Robbie Williams got Take That a booking. But there we go. So, yeah, they're performing in Bristol uh, at the stadium, at uh, the Bristol City Stadium, I believe it is, with Ollie Murs. So that's a really good one to go to. So that's, I think there's tickets available anyway that's take that on radio bath right so today's all about adoption and i've got steve fountain the boss of the station coming in to talk all about it and i'm just going to do a very quick bit on what is adoption now i'm guessing most people would have some idea of what it is but i'm just going to do some of the legal parts okay so adoption is the legal process by which a child or a group of siblings who cannot be brought up within their birth family become full permanent and legal members of their new family who can adopt anyone over 21 you must be a legal resident in the uk you can be single gay living in rented accommodation and already have children and you can still adopt disabilities and health conditions do not automatically rule you out it says you must be patient (laughs) i think that goes for all parents i've got four children myself and uh, patience is definitely one of those things as well to think about so pretty much most people can adopt unless you have criminal records uh, the only automatic is that uh, exclusion is if you have any se- serious sexual offenses you're not being able to adopt which obviously is is correct now adoptions had lots of different things going on over the last kind of 100 years or so um, i'm taking you back to 1926 to start with so the first adoption legislation was in 1926 okay what did the legislation say not a lot was <laughs> what it said it's nearly 100 years ago and it was just kind of an enabling act okay that's all it was and it said that the adopters must not be under 25 or less than 21 years older than the child that's quite difficult that one so uh, so yeah you've got to have some age range between you okay went into the 1930s and the act proved popular and over 5,000 children were being legally adopted every year but there was lots of concerns about how people were being adopted um no doubt you've seen call the midwife and uh, there's lots of stories that go on about that and kind of a we might be going down that route. Um, but lots of people, lots of children were shipped overseas. No checks, no safeguards, especially to Holland. 
Not really sure. But it was frowned on by the authorities in Holland adoption, so therefore lots of people got shipped out to Holland as well. Come on to the 1940s, and there was the Adoption of Children Act in 1939. It was delayed because of the onset of the war, but there were so many stories of malpractice, of babies being swapped on railway stations, can you believe that, that in 1942 they brought it in um, and they meant they actually fully brought it in in June 1943. We then go on to the end of the World War II, okay, and what we had is the Children Act of 1948 and it said it praised adoption as a possible method of dealing with children in care but considered boarding out fostering still a more realistic option. We then go into the 1950s and more legislation is brought in. However, it didn't end the way chaotic adoptions were done and it says that only an estimated quarter of adoptions were carried out by registered adoption societies and believe it or not again there are about 13,000 adoptions taking place each year at this point it's much less now just let you know we'll do the story later on as we get up to current day but yet 13,000 adoptions a year and a lot of them weren't actually wanted but uh, again we're going to go on to that now steve's going to come in fairly shortly and we're going to hear all about his story now the reason i've kind of gone up to 1950 is because steve was adopted in 1954 which means next year of course his big 70th birthday and we're going to hear all about his story over the next hour and a half or so so it's all about adoption if you have any questions studio at radiobath.com or you can text bath followed by your message to 80011 you must be single that must be why you sent me some poem the other night that's confusing i have to say There's a new one from Olivia Dean there, and that's Ladies' Room here on Radio Bath. So this morning, I've got the wonderful Steve Fountain. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Richard. You okay? I'm good. Your, your good. radio voice is still there, isn't it? <laughs> well, uh, it, it, um, it's not quite what it was. 30 or 40 years ago but that's just an age-related thing so i can't do much about that but i i do quite a lot of uh singing so um although again less than i used to but um uh, you know your, your your voice is a muscle and you need to exercise it and um uh, i suppose being on air several times a week for a few hours a day helps but uh, singing's the best the best thing for it really you know i was on stage on monday night and I hadn't been on stage for a, about a week or so, and I thought I'll warm my voice up by singing on the way, which is what I often do. Yeah, I'm in the car yeah. and I sing, and uh, still by the end of the class, I don't think I had my microphone turned up quite so much, so I was projecting mm. more than I should have been, and I was hoarse by the end of the class. Well, that's, it's all about where the where the effort comes from, mm. and um, uh, a lot of people do it from the throat, and it needs to come from your core, from, yeah. the, from your tummy area. And... Um, uh, if you do that, you'll get less sore throats and you'll project more effectively. Um, but you need to learn how to do that. And when I was much younger, I, you know, I was a singer. I used to sing quite a lot in choirs and things. So um, those choir masters in those days used to teach you how to. I'm sure they still do, to be I'm fair. I'm sure they do. Um, uh, used to teach you how to sing properly. It's, it's amazing how many people you... you um, uh, watch on tv in particular that um end up with a sort of gruff sore throat or something mm. I, I was i was watching um 
I wasn't watching, but my wife was watching Paul Martin on Flog It. Okay. And um, uh, this was uh, uh, night before last, actually. And um, uh, his voice changed quite noticeably from the beginning of the recording of the show to the end of the show. Yeah. Which uh, meant that he was doing a lot of talking um, or a lot of shouting, potentially, I suppose. Uh, but definitely by the end of the show, his... Um, his, the tone of his voice was much, um, much more hoarse than it uh, than it started out as. So you have to, you know, you have to train your voice like any muscle yep. to to do the job that you want it to do. <clears throat> I'm I've been quite fortunate insofar as I, you know, I was born with the voice that I've. I I didn't sound like that. I think you and I talked about we this did, yeah. before, didn't I? I I was uh, I was a bit more of a sort of North London kind of you know twang accent. Um, uh, so I didn't sound like this, but I I I went away and worked on developing um, the right kind of voice to get me the job in radio. Really, I mean, the tone was always there. It was more the it was more the speech. Yeah, I always think back to Chris Moyles <clears> about <throat> how high pitched his voice was. He says as his voice starts to croak, uh, how high pitched his voice was to start with, and as he developed much more, he slowed down a bit and definitely dropped. Yeah, and slowing down is a big thing. Yeah, if you if you talk quickly. Um, there's a tendency for um, your voice pitch and tone to change. And Chris, uh, it was exactly like that. You're right. I mean, when he used to do the the, the sort of late night stuff, um, I think at Radio Air in Leeds, um, although he was much much younger, um, he uh, yeah, it was all it was all quite quick and rushed. Right. Uh, by the time I got working with him in uh, 19. Uh, ninety-one, two, maybe something like that. Uh, he he'd slowed down quite a bit, and still excitable, but he had slowed down quite a bit. And uh, if you listen to him today on Radio X, um, on the national station, he's he's quite a different kind of broadcaster. Mm. You know, yeah, very much so. Now, before we talk about your adoption mm. story, we're, I, you know, last time we spoke quite a bit about Radio Bath, and I think it's just been quite interesting for people to hear behind the scenes. How is Radio Bath going? Well, we're still here. Well, that's good. We're still broadcasting. <laughs> we celebrated our third birthday on the fifth of November. Um, it's uh, it, it's it's constantly um, up against the wall. Uh, you know, we need about seventy thousand pounds a year or thereabouts to uh, to operate. Um, we're very careful with our, our cost. You know, our presenters are all volunteers. We are. Um, nobody who presents gets paid. Um, there's a couple of people who earn some um, meagre, you know, takings from selling uh, partnership packages or patronages or something of that nature. And we, we, we give a few hundred pounds a month to somebody who looks after our website, to Vicky. Um, but apart from that, nobody nobody really gets anything. Um <clears throat> In terms of how we're doing, I think uh, I, I'm, I think we're doing okay. I mean, I, it's it, it's it, it, we are a charity, and one of the one of the conversations that I have quite a bit here is that um, uh, because we're a charity, we don't need to think 
that commercially but actually before we're a charity we're a business and we can't do the things that we want to do as a charity if we don't think like a business so you know we need to we need to get patrons and we need to get partners or or advertisers we prefer to use the word partners um because if we don't get those there's no money coming through the door and, and then we can't meet our costs and then we'll have to close down now at the moment we're doing pretty well on patrons and partnerships um i suspect that will uh quieten down a little bit in the early new year although we do have some new businesses coming on board hamptons the estate agents are coming on board from january um uh, Bath Clinic are coming on board from January. Uh, we've got some exciting things lined up to 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 do with both of those um, new partnerships. The the Francis came on board recently as a patron, which is brilliant. We love having our business breakfast there. We had our first one there last month. We got another next Thursday, um, uh, and uh, the the facilities there are excellent. We love the Francis, and those guys fortunately like us as well. Uh, we recently got a patronage with uh, Bath Audi or Mon motors who own bath audi and bath vw um so they've come on board that's that started this month um so you know the 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 momentum is in the right direction but you'll know as somebody who runs a business you Mm. can't take your eye off the ball or you can't take your foot off the accelerator whichever you know descriptive you wish to use you just have to keep driving forward my glass is always half full it's never half empty um i'm a very positive individual and i think that positivity hopefully feeds out to the rest of the people that that are here and uh you know will will generally drive us forward in the right direction yeah, I mean, we're all very, you know, I personally feel very fortunate that I have a radio show every Thursday um, from 10 till 12 and advertising it while he's on air. I don't know why. Um, and it's a really lovely place to be. It's a great environment to be at Radio Bath. It's fun, isn't it? It is great fun. Yeah. If anybody wants to get involved as a presenter or as a patron or partner, how would they do that, Steve? Just contact me, steve at radiobath.com. Okay. And we can we can have a conversation. Okay. Um, I had a conversation earlier this week with a lady who wants to come and join us in the new year as a as a potential presenter and i had another conversation this morning with a gentleman um that has some radio experience that'd like to come and join us as well and i'm meeting him on saturday so uh, you know we got over <clears throat> i don't know approaching 50 volunteers now one way or another not everybody is on the air i'd say the vast majority 95 percent of them are but we also need people in the background to help us with our web services you know our online offering uh we need people to help us with uh, production and stuff like that so those people are gradually coming through um what has changed in the last three months is the influx of students that are coming to see us. Okay. I've uh, got you know quite a lot of students that I'm having conversations with about doing different things, whether it's presenting uh, a book club show or doing some production or working in the news area. So I think it's all positive at the moment. Um, but as I just said, you have to keep your foot to the floor all the time. And do you need to have radio experience to be a presenter? Absolutely not, no. Okay. Did you have any? Uh, a li- yes, I had. A little bit, I didn't had you? a few years' worth. Um, but yeah. but uh, no, in the main, no. I mean, what you have to have is a willingness to, to learn hmm. and some time available to be able to do something on a fairly consistent basis, as you do, you know, every Thursday. Um, and uh, beyond that, we can give you the rest. I mean, we have all sorts of people coming here. I've, I, you, you probably haven't met him because your time paths <laughs> don't cross, but we've got a guy called uh, Josh Curd who's... Um, um, uh, autistic mm-hmm. and has a number of challenges in his life and um, he came to me the beginning of this year and said with his he has a he has a sort of minder really a carer Marco and he came to me earlier this year and 
um he came in and sat down and we showed him around and uh, i said have you any experience and he said no i said would you like to do some radio and he said do you think i could i said of course you can so he went away and thought up some ideas with marco came back we stuck him in the studio for six months just to learn how to use the studio desk the broadcast desk and learned how to record and uh we took him through you know presentational skills and all that sort of thing and his first show went out on a Sunday afternoon a couple of months ago and he's going to be doing one show a month for us and we're moving him to a Thursday evening uh, um, uh, later this year well for December but um, because Sundays are now filled up with uh, with full-time as it were presentation so we're going to move into a Thursday evening but yeah he's um, he's coming on board uh, I had a guy in earlier this week who's got uh, who's got a speech impediment a stutter but I don't care I mean it's just you know you put them into an environment where where um, they can feel comfortable and that's the main thing don't rush anybody if they can feel comfortable it's amazing how many of these things these various challenges and issues that these guys have to deal with that they can overcome you just yeah. got to give them some room and some space and some time and, and help them, you know, develop their confidence. And I've definitely seen it. I've seen people that, um, not necessarily here, but in other environments where socially they're, they're, they struggle quite a lot. Um, and then all of a sudden they sit in front of the microphone and it's like they're a different person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it's amazing to see. Well, we're going to hear about your adoption story. We'll have a little break for the adverts. When we come back, we're going to hear about 1954 and Steve Fountain. Stay, yeah. That's the wonderful Adele there and something like you here on Radio Bath. So it's Richard Bovesan here until midday today. Steve Fountain is here. Uh, what is your official title here again? I think it says content director. Content director. I, I, I just call you the boss. Just a story about Adele. Oh, I, was at, um, I was at the Brit Awards a few years ago and James Corden was hosting brilliantly, I may say. Yeah. And uh, because it's a televised event, um, everything has to run like clockwork, you know. And uh, there was a bit where... Adele was more or less come to the end of a tune and was doing a thank you and uh, obviously the the directors needed to go to the commercial break on ITV and James Corden had to say Adele I've got to stop you there I can't believe I'm telling Adele that she needs to shut up and get off stage but that's what's got to happen because yeah. we need to keep the time and he was like oh alright then <laughs> yeah Adele your time is up <laughs> well that was effectively it yeah yeah it was the good Great old voice. hook yeah being hook pulled off the, the neck stage. and pull him off the stage yeah <laughs> so Steve you were born in 1954 yeah I know nothing about your adoption story as I, I was chatting to Gerard before and I say I quite often do a lot of prep I do a lot of research and i kind of have some idea of what we're going to talk about and i'll be honest with you i've purposely not done that this time because i want to hear your story so i don't actually know how much information would be available if you googled it probably i'll nothing. be honest with you when i tried nothing <laughs> nothing i mean there's lots of pictures of me and doing different things but uh, there nothing are. about the adoption no so um uh it, working back to 1950 i was born on june the 8th and um uh, I, I I knew that I was adopted um, formally just before Christmas of the same year. So just around about Christmas Eve or the day before is when the adoption papers all got signed off by the local registrar and so on. <clears throat> and, <clears throat> you know, even as a youngster, I, I always knew that um, I'd uh, I'd been adopted. Yeah. My parents adopted because they couldn't have any other children, and um, which was... It wasn't uncommon then for, as in happened in this case, for women to then, 
you know, find themselves pregnant soon after adopting. And I don't, I have no idea why. I mean, they couldn't have any children beforehand, apparently. Um, but as soon as they adopted, within a matter of months, mm. you know, my mum was expecting my sister, Gillian, and Gillian was born in June the following year, 55. So um, uh, there's something going on in the head that says you can't and then actually it's all right now you yeah. can so whatever that was um but i i, I always knew that um that i'd been adopted mum and dad never never held that uh, fact from me it didn't make me feel any different um other than people used to say and i did i noticed this as i got a bit older and because i knew it was clearly apparent to me but you know people will say you look just like your dad or mm. you look like your mum or you got your granddad's eyes or something like well i may have had my granddad's eyes but it wasn't the eyes of the granddad <laughs> they were thinking about you know so um uh, people used to say to me you look like your dad and i think i don't i know i don't <laughs> yeah. you know and the fountain family actually do look completely different from me i mean you know as they would yeah um there's not many of them left now i mean i'm sort of a i'm a dying breed in a sense really there's not many of the fountains left but um uh that was that was the thing that i i sort of grew up with all the way through friends saying to my parents oh he looks just like you or whatever it may be and these would be people that they didn't know at the time of my adoption but got to know you know later in life and i think it's just people saying things because they feel they need to say it or something like that but i always knew i'd i'd been adopted and then um when i was uh <clears throat> oh, i don't know how old would i have been 30 something probably um i have victoria my daughter and um i'd been watching who do you think you are and i i came to the end of the show and i said to tina uh, my wife i said do you know something i don't actually know who i am i know nothing about who i am i know i'm adopted but i know nothing else about who i am and i had a couple of letters that my parents had from the, the 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 church of england adoption society which i'll come back to in a moment but um beyond that i didn't really know anything else and i i, I said i wonder if i ought to try and you know contact my my natural mother in this case because i knew practically nothing and still don't know anything about my father other than his christian name um and i had a bit of background detail on my on my natural mother so she said well you, if you want to you know i wouldn't stand you i said well i need to talk to victoria because that that may affect her you know so i went to see victoria and i said i'm thinking about doing this i said let's um uh, i was i was i was living when i was after i was born i was born in chiswick hospital but i then went back to the mother and baby home which was in ealing and we we victoria and i drove up to ealing one saturday afternoon and found the house in uh, a massive you know kind of mansion type place um that uh, is still there today and uh, we found this house and uh, i I don't know why, but I went and knocked on the door because okay. I didn't know what it was, you know. But anyway, it turned out to be more of an institution for people with a number of um, mental challenges. And uh, um, uh, I had to go away because it was nothing to do with what I had in mind. So we, we came home again and then I, I let it lie dormant for a good number of years. And I think that was because both mum and dad were still alive at that time. And I, I think afterwards I thought, actually, I don't think mum in particular would be very happy if i set out to try and find my natural mother she might see that as a failing on her part so um uh i stopped and then mum died in uh uh 1996 um 
my father died in 2007 uh, and it was after my father died I think he would have been quite pragmatic about it if I'd have said to him I want to go and search my natural natural mother I think it'd have been fine but um, uh, dad died in 2007 and it was more or less off the back of that and I thought okay now's the time so um, I contacted something called a place called or a facility in Kent actually where I was working at the time called the Adoption and Kinship Society and they said what do you want and I, I said well I'd like to try and meet my my natural mother and um, uh, and she said uh, okay I mean it was free you didn't have to pay anything it was you know okay. it was a free service and uh, it took about six months um, I mean which is quite a quick process hmm. um, to uh to track down muriel my natural mother and she at the time was living in in um hexham up in uh, northumberland because she's a geordie okay and uh, uh and she now lives in uh, hatesbury um just on the outskirts of warminster so she moved down here after we uh, after we met and um i'll tell you more about her as we go mm. on but yeah she's uh <laughs> She's quite a character. There's no doubt about that. Um, and I always, I'm, I seem to be continually discovering something about the family, about her family, about what happened with her when she was younger, and so on and so forth. And I still think there's more to discover. There's some things I know that she's never mentioned. Um, and I'm just waiting for them to come out because I've got letters to say this is this is Muriel's background. Um, so I'm sitting here waiting one day for her to say, have, have I told you about this? And she's very matter of fact and sort of, well, oh, yes, that's right. This happened or that happened. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, um, there's still stuff to come out of that story. Okay. But the adoption itself, I mean, that was a cakewalk compared to what they have to go through today. Yeah, well, we're going to talk much more about mm. that. We're going to have some music coming up. The wonderful JLS, Marvin's currently in the jungle. Don't know what he's doing today, but we'll find out about that. And we're going to find out more about your relationship with your mum. Okay. And how you got to meet your mum yes. after this. All right. Okay. The police and every little thing she does is magic. It's Radio Bath. It's Richard Boberson here until midday. Today on A Story to Tell, we've got Steve Fountain. We're half, well, a little bit into his adoption story, but we're going to find out much, much more about it now. So good morning, Steve, again. Richard. So tell us all about your actual adoption process then well the first thing to say is it's uh, it was a, a lot easier then scarily too easy than it is today our neighbors um where we live in bradford on avon some neighbors of ours adopted and i think the whole process must have taken i don't know 18 months to two yeah, years something like I, that. I was doing quite a bit of research about <clears> adoption <throat> and back then as i mentioned in kind of the build-up almost people were being or babies were being swapped on railway stations it got to that level yeah, it wasn't quite that bad <laughs> <laughs> but now as you say it's about 18 months yeah. And a lot of process. So what happened after I was born in June 54 was I went back to um, the mother and baby home. I was immediately removed from my natural mother and uh, and put up for adoption. <clears throat> um, and over a period of about uh, a month or five weeks, six weeks, something like that, a number of people came to uh, families 
you know, husbands and wives couples came to look at me. Uh, a couple came, and I've got the letters to, to say this is what happened. I mean, the, the, the names are redacted, as are the addresses where they lived. Um, but um, so a first couple came to look at me and, uh, you know, spent a, a bit of time with me, but decided I wasn't for them uh, because I had a funny-shaped head. A funny shaped head. Yeah. Okay. I'm, it actually I'm, says that. Yeah. I'm now looking at your head, and it's it, perfectly normal. It, it looks oh, quite. He's <laughs> lost his hair, but um, it would look very similar when you were a baby. It probably truth. did. In fairness, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. They 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 decided that um, um, they didn't want to take me home because I had a funny shaped head. Okay. So um, a letter went out to another couple who came to see me and um, those people again got to spend a little bit of time with me and they decided they didn't want to take me home because I had rubbed heels and sore buttocks right now I was only a few weeks old yeah <laughs> and probably not being looked after amazingly well I'm well guessing. I don't know but have I have no recollection if I'm honest do you not, no. but um, yeah they didn't want to take me home because I had rubbed heels and sore buttocks okay which is just and when I when I first um, um, went through I, I sat down with uh, Victoria when I got these letters and um, this was this was I think before I met Muriel, and I know we're going to come on to that, but um, uh, my natural mother. But uh, I was going through these letters because they'd sent the, the mother and baby home. The Church of England sent them to me, and um, I did have some others anyway. But I was telling Victoria and my first wife Mary about because my first wife and I are still quite good friends. And Mary burst into tears. I mean, she said, "I can't believe it. Why would anyone? You know, they just she thought it was heartless that anyone would say, well, you've got a funny shaped head or a sore bottom or rubbed heels.' I mean, you're a baby. What do, what do they expect?" You so know? the question I have now, which I'm sure many people have, the question <clears> is: <throat> Is how are your buttocks and heels these days? Uh, they're not sore. They're not and sore they're not now. Rubbed. Okay, all right. Just <laughs> just to make sure that, that no, they're okay uh, now. Uh, from very early on in life they they right. soon healed they, they were they fine. were okay that's all right then. so then what happened was that um uh, the mother and baby home was contacted by um uh the reverend blackburn from all saints church in houghton regis in bedfordshire and um he said do you have any children for you know babies for adoption uh, i have a nice young couple um just moved into um a new house uh, and they were whatever their ages were at that time. I mean, my mum and dad got married at the ages of uh, 19 and 21. Mm. So they were quite young when they got married. Dad was in a raft. But um, uh, uh, he wrote to them and uh, wrote to the mother and baby home. They said, yes, we've got a number of babies. If you'd like to send Mr. and Mrs. Fountain down, they can, they can, you know, come and come and have a look and, and see who they'd like to, to consider. So they came along and eventually got round to looking at me. And uh, after, you know, picking me up and passing me around and what do you think? You know, what about the shape of his head? And saw buttocks and <laughs> Anyway, they, um, they decided they'd... Um, they'd like to to have me for a trial which is exactly what happened in those days okay now these people had come along with the with the blessing of the, their local vicar it was a, a church of england mother and baby home that was sufficient to allow the mother and baby home to say to my you know these these people who never they'd never met they'd never met me until a, an hour or so before to say okay you can take baby baby home yeah. and see how you get on um, and that was it. I mean, that was the process and to begin with. And then over a period of um, about four or five months, there were a number of letters that went backwards and forwards. I got a letter from that's written handwritten by my mum. I got another handwritten by my dad. And there's a number of letters which are typed by the mother and baby home. 
<clears throat> in Ealing and they're saying how are you getting on mum says oh, we love having him here he's uh, it, you know he's a beautiful little boy except I went off the rails clearly as I got older but anyway so uh, uh, and that's fine uh, and uh, that all carried on then my dad wrote probably about this time of the year actually about November 54 and um, uh, said look you know we've we've had Stephen with us for a while now they called me Stephen but with a PH okay. uh, I think I'd been Stephen with a V while I was in the mother and baby home but I'm not completely sure about that but that and becomes... remember how they're pronounced the one's pronounced Stephen yes and the other one's pronounced Stephen yes exactly <laughs> so but there, there was a bit more on that which came later on when I met my natural mother but anyway we'll do that in a moment but um, so um yeah, the, my father wrote and said, we've decided we'd like to keep him if that's okay. We'd like to adopt him and so on and so forth. And uh, the mother and baby home wrote back and said, yeah, that's absolutely fine. I think they came and visited um, my parents' house in uh, Manor Park in Houghton Regis, 96 Manor Park, Houghton Regis is where it was. Okay. They visited my parents' house and um, uh, the, the formal adoption papers went through and as I say I, earlier I think that sort of happened around about the 23rd 24th of December 1954 I've got the I've got the the adoption certificate and all those things yeah can't quite remember the date but it was about that that date okay and uh, and that was it my parents took me after adoption in the new year they took me to the doctor for my physical and the doctor turned his nose up at me and said what on earth have you got here because I was quite you know I was a bit scrawny really i suppose that's really what he was saying and um and he sort of put the dampers on how long i was going to be around oh wow <laughs> and my parents said no no he'll be fine we'll look after him and you know here he is today six nearly, foot one and sort nearly of, 70 years later exactly 70 years later so the doctor got that one wrong thankfully but yeah and i uh, from that moment onwards i had a um a perfectly normal childhood but that whole process of adoption was yeah. so random i mean i've no idea who the other two couples were no. but i could have ended up probably somewhere in the southeast still i think but you know i could have ended up doing anything with anyone anywhere i mean it, it's it's a very random or it was then a very random process but because because the, the the mother and baby home the church of england mother and baby home got this letter from the reverend blackburn who i got to know and i sang in you know i went to his church and, okay. and sang in his choir as a boy he was a blooming tyrant i mean <laughs> this was the, these these were the days when if you were mucking about in the graveyard you get a clip round the back of the head from the vicar yeah. you know told to take a hook yeah um i mean i couldn't do that today they get arrested but um yeah it was a much more hands-on approach in those days and um yeah you think about how simple it was it's just mind-bogglingly straightforward yeah uh, and then you think about how challenging it is today and i understand all those reasons i completely get that but uh, yeah none of those none of the reasons that apply today applied in any way shape or form back in 1954 and probably for a good part of the latter part of the 50s as well yeah i've got i, I did some research <clears throat> on kind of how adoptions have changed over the years and and yes it did become more stringent as it went on i think the thing that really surprises me more than anything else is the fact that they were allowed to take you out for a, a trial period of a few months yeah and, well, they took me home. I mean, they yeah. came. They came to the mother and baby home. It was around about the end of July, beginning of August, and, uh, and they turned up. They'd never met these people before, and they took me home. Yeah, and it Just was like, like that. yeah, okay. It was like a, you know your thirty your thirty day option to buy or send it back. <laughs> And I, I'm just trying to think of the imagination of, you know, they took you away for a little bit and then went, nah, 
they really fancy well, this I one. Did, but that's right. Then they just take you back, and then the mother and baby home start the process all over again yeah. with somebody else. That's, um, but that's, fortunately, I was the perfect baby. <laughs> And no doubt have turned into the perfect adult yeah, as sure. well. I'm not sure I was the perfect baby, and I'm definitely not the perfect adult. I don't um, think any of us are. <clears throat> no, I'm definitely not. No. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the, that, that whole thing um, was so simple. I think that the crucial thing was that mum and dad told me that I was adopted from as young as I can yeah. remember. And I, I, I think had I found out when, you know, potentially when one of them had died or something i think that um that would have i'd have been fine with it but i think that would have been a bit of a surprise yeah uh, but to know all pretty much all of my life as a child and adult that i was adopted is it's quite a normal thing for me you know yeah i mean i was watching um a program <clears throat> called race across the world it was the canada edition mm. and uh towards the end of it they had a conversation about adoption um and the chap that was driving this this couple across the uh, across canada he was saying he was adopted himself he had six children now but he was adopted himself and he said he always felt very blessed because he knew that his parents had chosen him Yes. Rather than just, you just happen to be an accident yes, or anything exactly, like that. Yeah, so yeah. kind of, did you feel different <clears throat> being adopted compared to other children that were kind of with their natural parents? I thought more about that as I, as I got older. And um, I don't know that I've come to any real answer on that. I, I, everything just felt completely normal, Richard. So, you know, I, the, the, my friends that I played with as a child... Um, knew that I was adopted their parents knew that I was adopted so it never felt I, I had nothing else to compare it with really I okay. suppose that was the thing I mean my sister and I um, you know always got along uh, in the way that uh, a brother and sister would she passed away in um, uh, 2019 but um, uh, yeah I mean it, it didn't feel any different did I feel different no I don't think I did Um did I appear different? Yes, I think there's a there's compared to the rest of the family, um, both my mother and uh, father's side, I was a little different mm. in so far as I had. Um, uh, it's that nature and nurture thing, you know. My genes were different, so I, I there were certain things about me which um, which you couldn't say came from my mum or my dad, and I I now know where those things came from. You know, yeah. particularly as I became an adult. That was definitely the case, but um, no, I don't think um, I don't think I felt really different or special in any way. But um, one thing I've always felt is very grateful, okay? Um, because you know, mum and dad gave me the right start in life, and um, were always fully supportive, um, and uh, encouraged me um, up to a point in the way people did back in those days. I thought the world was slightly a glass half empty then. Oh, you don't want to do that. That's a bit risky, that kind mm. of thing. And I, I, I understand all that when I got my own family. But um, no, I think I, I felt grateful and lucky, really, more than anything else. Not different, definitely not, no. Oh, cool. Um, we'll have a little break for music. When we come back, we're going to find out more about your relationship with you and your natural birth mother. Yes. So uh, we're doing that after the music. Backstreet Boys, I want it that way. It's Richard Bovesen here on Radio Bath here until midday. Steve's still here. We're going through his adoption story. So we've passed 1954. Mm. You've been adopted. And then 
we mentioned earlier about you kind of tried to find your natural birth mother and then stopped for a while what yeah. happened then uh, well after my um, after both my parents had passed away uh, dad died in 2007 as i said earlier i, I then went back to uh, victoria my my daughter uh, and said i think i'm i definitely want to try and do this now and i'd met somebody i'd interviewed them on air actually when i was working in kent i was living here but but um traveling down there on a monday and coming back on a friday i was running a bunch of radio stations called uh, kmfm in kent and um i'd met somebody and interviewed them uh from the adoption adoption and kinship society based in maidstone and um you know after the after the show i was saying about my story and so i said have you ever thought about um following up and trying to find um your natural mother and i said i had thought about it i parked it because my parents were you know alive and i just didn't think that that it didn't feel right really um so i said but they're both gone now and she said well would you like to see where it leads and i said well why not hmm. was it cost she said nothing at all you can make a donation if you want to and i, I probably donated something in the region of about 150 pounds i think okay but it wasn't very much really <clears throat> so um that's what they did and i gave them the letters we sat down and had you know a proper formal conversation um about the potential outcomes uh, from we may not be able to find her she may have passed away uh to uh we may find her and uh, she doesn't want to see you uh or we may find her and she does want to see you and you decide you don't want to see her anymore or something you know so the whole range of options came about and i said no i'm comfortable with all those i understand that you know uh, that that could happen i was in my 50s at the time so you know i was quite uh, relaxed about it and um and and they they came to me after a while and said um we've got some information where do you want to go from here and i said well let's pursue you know this course of action and um uh ultimately they discovered um that my mother my natural mother was alive and that she was living in uh hexham up in northumberland and so they wrote to they said what do you want to do and i said no let's carry on and they wrote to um the uh, social services department at newcastle city council they were responsible for um the, you know people living in hexham yeah and um uh, uh and uh, by the way i should say at this time i didn't know that she lived in hexham i only discovered that later um all i knew was that she was somewhere in the northeast because they don't really give you any information they in case it the lady doesn't want to see you for yeah. instance you know so they they wrote up there um um social services in the northeast got in touch with um got in touch with muriel and uh um, and wrote to her um uh, there was a delay of about uh, uh two or three weeks where um she didn't respond to social services and that was because um I subsequently learned that she needed to kind of square everything with some other members of her family who didn't know that that I existed. You know, I, I think what happened then back in the day was that um, a girl got pregnant and they sort of got squirreled away, mm. you know. And I think that's what happened with, uh, with, with, with Muriel. Her sister had moved away. Um, and um, it feels inconceivable to me that that her sister didn't know that i was i was on the scene as it were or at least that mum was pregnant because 
she uh they're twins so you know they would have been obviously the same age um possibly living slightly different lives but um it does seem inconceivable but i also know that uh muriel had an older sister and i'm not sure that she knew about me i think by then she'd moved away um actually she was a professional ballroom dancer back in those days she was a very good friend of len goodman and people like that subsequently so um i think she had moved away and uh, uh um uh, she probably didn't know. So Muriel then needed to square that circle with, with the rest of her family. Um, but she did write back to social service. She said, yes, I, I don't want to meet Stephen, but I'm very happy to, to hear from him. And uh, the Adoption and Kinship Society... In fact, I was in the car driving down the A1 towards London, having just been to see Tina's mum, who was in a hospice because she was seriously ill with bone cancer. And she died in February of the following year. So there was all this going on, Mm. you know, two really emotional, heavy stories at the same time. Um, And uh, they said, uh, can you talk? And I said, yeah. So they said, well, we we, we heard back from from Muriel and she'd like to hear from you. She doesn't want to meet you at this stage, but it's happy to hear from you. So how did you feel about the fact that she didn't want to meet you? I was quite relaxed about it, Richard. It was fine. Yeah. Um, I I had an open mind on on all the possibilities from from day one. I knew what I was going into, you know. So um, uh, uh, I didn't have an address. I had to write to her and send it through the social services, I think, if my memory Mm. serves me correctly. So it was, um, by now, it was about the first week of December in 2007, I want to say, somewhere like that. So um, 2008, maybe. But anyway, I thought, wow, what am I going to say? So I got a, a, a blank Christmas card, and I just wrote a message inside basically saying hello um this is who i am i've had a good life my parents are very good to me they've taught me right from wrong this is what i do i'm married i've got a daughter i live in a place called bradford on avon uh and that was properly a tough thing to write yeah um because you know you could write a huge bookload of stuff but I, I just knew that i didn't want to do that i just wanted enough to say this is where i am and if you want to get in touch so because uh, i put my address in i said this is where i am this these are my contact details my phone number my house number and my and my mobile number and um i'll leave it entirely up to you it's your call if you want to get in touch you know where i am now uh, as far as I'm concerned, it'd be nice to hear from you, but I understand if you don't. So one of the things that I've got in my head is you've called your mum and dad, the people that adopted you, mum and dad. Yeah. What did you write in the card? Did you say to my natural birth mother? No, to I said I'd Muriel. Muriel. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I called her mum when, I mean, I, I was over and saw her a couple of Sundays ago because I say she only lives up the road now. Um, and I will call her mum. But when I refer to her in conversations, I generally refer to her as Muriel. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And I think that's because, and she gets this, I think it's because my mum and dad are the people who invested the time to bring me up. Yeah. Muriel didn't, didn't get that opportunity for whatever reason when, when I was put up for adoption. And I'm not sure that, um, I'm not sure that the adoption or non-adoption thing was an issue within the family. I think the decision was made that I would be put up for adoption. I was going to say, was it, do you, have you found out why you were put up for adoption? Well, she was 21. I mean, she's 90 now. She just celebrated her 90th oh, birthday earlier birthday. this year. Um, and yes, I, I, uh, we've t- sort of talked about it. We talk about it less today. Occasionally there's a story that comes up and we'll have a chat about it. But mostly I think it was just a case of, you know, she was 21 and um, unmarried and 
that that was what you did. You put it up, you put the baby up for adoption. You yeah. know, I, it was back in the fifties. It was still considered a, a pretty, you know, bad thing to mm. have a child out of wedlock. Um, so, um, yeah, I I I, I refer to the my mum and dad as as in the people that brought me up and taught me right from wrong and all those things, and uh, and and, uh, and gave me my my chance in life. Um, Muriel, I, it's she's Muriel when I'm having a conversation with anyone. I always refer to Muriel as my natural mother. But if I'm sitting down with her, I say, hello, mum, you know, yeah. that sort of stuff. Okay. It's tough when you're buying things like Mother's Day cards because Mother's Day cards are all about, you know, thank you for bringing me yeah. up and wiping me snotty nose and bottom when I was a child and all that sort of stuff. And, of course, she didn't, she didn't get the opportunity to do any of that stuff. So Mother's Day cards are a bit of a challenge. They tend to be blank okay. or Happy Mother's Day, you know, and stuff like that. But she's a proper character. I mean, I, I, I do like her um uh it's um it's 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 just a different relationship than you would have expected to have had with somebody who brought you up for if she'd have been there my whole 70 years as it were although well of course she has but she's just been somewhere else and i didn't know where she was but um yeah so the relationship is 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 good in that regard so you wrote a letter to her or wrote a a card to her yes she obviously then received it what happened next uh i got home one night um and uh, there was a message on my answer phone. Hello, Stephen, it's your mother here. I'll call you back. <laughs> I'm guessing that's her voice. Which is slightly Geordie, yeah. Um, <laughs> probably not as Geordie as somebody who's been up there for decades and decades, but most of her life she has lived up there. So, uh, and, and it was so sort of matter of fact it was almost as though we'd spoken you know the weekend yeah. before hello Stephen, it's your mother here i'll call you and that, that was it and um uh in fact what happened was i i had to go back to kent and we'd arranged um we di- we didn't speak but i i, I think she said yes she didn't say i called you back she said this is my number call me if you want to so that's the first time you've ever heard your mum's voice yes okay that- well other than at birth <laughs> Which, which on this occasion she didn't scream, so no, it was all right. Yeah. And you won't have had too much of a memory of that moment. No, I had no recollection of that <laughs> at all. So, so that's. And how old were you at this point? <clears throat> um, I was about. So it was about 13, 14 years ago. So I was about 56, 57, okay. something like so that. Yeah. And at the age of 56, hearing your mum's voice for the first time, that must almost must be quite emotional, I'd have thought. Uh, the, the whole thing was around that time, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So you went back to Kent? I went back to Kent um, with the number and the notion that I was going to give her a call on the Monday evening. So I sat down. Um, it would have been about seven o'clock. I was mindful that she might have been watching Emmerdale or Corrie or, you know, EastEnders or whatever it was. But um, uh, it was about yeah, about seven o'clock and I dialed the number and uh, there was no one in. <laughs> so you've built yourself up. No doubt your heart is racing. I'm picturing the scene. You're sat there and heart's racing. You dialed the number and then... Disappointment. She, didn't, she, didn't she wasn't there, <laughs> so I left a message on a on a on her answer phone. We're playing answer phone tennis so now. I, I said, um, uh, uh, "Give me a call back uh, on this number," which uh, which she did, and um, the phone rang not very long later, okay. fifteen twenty minutes or so. So you didn't have to wait overnight or no, anything no, like that. No, nothing <laughs> like that. No. Well, I've waited fifty odd years. Yeah. So I suppose another night wouldn't have made that much difference. But um, uh, yeah, she phoned me back and she said, "Hello, Stephen. It's your mother." And, and we just had a chat and it was it was we didn't talk for very long 
<laughs> we still don't. I mean, you know, but you'd think there's a lot to say when you when you're just meeting, as it were, someone for the first time in yeah. fifty odd years. But we didn't talk for very long. We had a we had a uh, I suppose what would have been a twenty thirty minute conversation or something, and um, uh, we agreed that um she was coming down she has a twin sister maureen my auntie maureen and um uh, they were going to stay with some friends in sherborne i think it was and uh, we agreed that we would meet between christmas and the new year on their way back from sherborne both of them uh, lived in hexham mm-hmm. i understood that by then uh and they drop off at uh, they drop off in bradford on avon on the way <coughs> on the way back to uh, hexham and that's precisely what we did. Well, we're going to find out more about how that meeting went. It was an interesting meeting. I am fascinated by this story. <laughs> but we've got Michael McDonald coming up. So, uh, so he, he, wants, he wants to chat as well. So, sure uh, so, yeah, here he comes. Richard Bovesan, a story to tell. We've got Steve Fountain. It's been all about his adoption story. We've found out how he got adopted. We've found out that he he's spoken to his mum. We're now going to hear about all the first time that you actually met your mum. Well, so we uh, we met between um, Christmas and New Year uh, as they were making their journey back home from from the south. Um, at, uh, I think it was Sherborne, uh, up to, going up to um, going back up to to Hexham, and we met at the. Uh, um, uh, Victorian tea rooms in Bradford on Avon, and the, the, what happened was that they they said we'll give you a call. We'll park up somewhere in Bradford on Avon, and we'll give you a call as we arrive. And they parked in the railway station car park at Bradford okay. on Avon. So I got a call at home. They said, "Hello, Stephen. It's Muriel. We've arrived." You know, I'm loving the impression. By you like the way. that dear, every so. time? Yeah, every well, time. I'm, you I'm have careful because we had Rory Bremner in early <laughs> this week, so you know, he really does it right. So. <clears throat> um, we wandered down to um, we wandered down to the station car park, and as we we're approaching, there were a number of cars there. But there was this; it was a red car with two ladies standing by it. And uh, Tina came out with uh, a really memorable line. She so said, Tina's your wife. Tina's my wife. Yeah. We both went together. She said, "Do you think that's them?" I said, "I guess so." There's no one else here, sweetie. She said, "Which one's your mum?" I said, well, how do I know? <laughs> so I said, I've no idea. She said, I thought you might be sort of drawn to one of them. I said, no, but it will become clear in about 50 yards which one it is because yeah. she'll step forward. And so, that's, that's precisely what happened. And we've got that scenario that, you know, lots of people dream about <clears throat> the first time they're meeting big hugs or is it a handshake or do you stand away from each other did you kind of process in your head which one of those greetings it might be no we had a hug i think okay yeah i think that's what we did and that's kind of the dream for lots of people isn't it they've met their mum after 56 years or so and they actually get to hug their mum what i don't have any recollection about was how emotional it felt okay which is really odd um uh, but uh, and I know that from Muriel's perspective, I mean, she's very I've seen evidence of this since um, she's very kind of matter of fact. So I think it would have been emotional for her, but she didn't show a lot of emotion. She, mm. she, she was a nurse for years. So I think she'd learned how to hide her emotions in many ways. Uh, but I think it must have been emotional for both of us. So, yes, we met. Then we wandered up to the Victorian tea rooms and we, we, we you know, by the bridge in Bradford and mm-hmm. we sat and we had. 
we had a tea um and i suppose we talked for about an hour and a half something an hour, hour and a half something like that so um uh, and, and I have no recollection again what we talked about it was probably just stuff you know where have you been what have you done she told me a bit about her I told her a bit about me she met Tina for the first time we talked about my family Victoria and and you know my first marriage and all those things so it was it was really a a, 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 a a small opportunity to fill in some of the detail on the way back to the car we came out of um, we came out of the tea room and on the way back to the car she said to me uh, I'm glad your mum and dad called you Stephen because I wanted to call you Stephen. Okay. And uh, and I said, oh, why did you want to call me Stephen? She said, well, I wanted to name you after your father. Right. And I said, but on my birth certificate, it says his name was Bernard. And she said, oh, I suppose it might have been. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so there we are. I mean, and and that's that's it's been like that ever since, really. And we went back to the car, and then eventually, I, I Tina and I went up to Hexham, and she introduced me to uh, some friends. Uh, I, she's a she's a she's converted from uh, Church of England to catholicism so she's now a catholic and um i met the priest of the local church and um i remember sitting there on the on the night we arrived we went up to hexham and on the night we first met all their friends it was like going for some kind of a bbc panel interview they all sat in a curve (laughs) there was about eight of them and they all sat in a curve in our front room in front of me and i sat on the sofa and um uh, tina was in the kitchen with with muriel and they 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 effectively questioned me and i thought how on earth am i going to deal with this so i went into sort of dj presenter mode and and i i turned it hopefully into what was an entertaining session with them and um, because i didn't know how else to deal with it really i thought well this is it's feeling like an interview so let's deal with it like an interview and that's precisely what i did and it was hilarious and um uh and then from there um i went on to meet the rest of the family her children from her marriage i was going to say were there any other siblings at oh all? yeah I had, there, were, there were three other siblings all of whom lived in well two lived in stevenage and one lived in germany and um she didn't she she left them when they were very young um i think she was unwell and um uh decided to go in a different direction so she left her left her family and um uh she said to me at one point i'm thinking about contacting them how would you feel about that and i said brilliant i think you should if you want to Mm. she said well it will sort of complete the circle yeah Uh, which is not quite the case but but mostly so i said no do that i'll definitely support that so she got the salvation army to do it okay and um uh and that didn't take very long three or four months um Ian, who's my my next down from me, I'm the eldest, and he's next down from me. Lives in Germany. He got to hear about it uh, through the Sally Army. He phoned her and he said, "Hello, it's it's Ian." And she obviously knew all their names and who he was, and so on and so forth. Um, and he said, "We thought you were dead." <laughs> he said, "Dad told us that you died." I, I think, you know, I've I've met with Ian and and the other two siblings, uh, Robert and uh, Fiona, lots of times now, especially. Fiona she comes to Bath a lot from where she lives in Stevenage and um, we've talked about it we I I think it was just a defense mechanism to say it it made it easier to say that in a sense than trying to explain what really happened of course Um, so yeah I met um, I met Ian I was in Germany about six weeks ago went over to to see him Um, I, I speak to him frequently I see him couple of times a year sometimes he comes here i go there um took tina over this time for the first time she loved it he's a great guy i i I really like i'm 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 blessed insofar as all the people that i've met 
um, through uh, Finding Muriel. I, I love them all. Mm. The, 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 you know, I've got a cousin, um, Maureen, that I didn't know existed, who only lived five minutes up the road from me. Amazing, isn't that? Back when I lived up in Bedfordshire. And, and all these people live closely to me. They would have heard me on the radio, on Chilton Radio. They yeah. may have seen me performing in a local nightclub as a DJ. And have no idea who you None were. None at all. No. Yeah, so, yeah. so how is your relationship with your natural birth mother now? It's good. I think it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe she'd say differently. <laughs> but um, no, I think it's, it's pretty good. Um, I talk to her pretty much every week. Um, we don't talk for long, um, but, uh, you know, maybe five to ten minutes. Yeah. Um, I, I was over there a couple of weeks ago to see her. Because she lives in Hatesbury, I can go and see her quite frequently. Um, and uh, I, I think um, they pretty much enjoy their life, yeah. She lives with her twin sister. Maureen. Okay. Uh, as I say, they're, they're both still going. They're 90, and um, I think they enjoy life, yeah. They're very... Muriel in particular is very kind of um, pragmatic about things. Uh, it's mm. all matter of fact. And um, there's not a lot of, well, it doesn't f- feel like there's a lot of emotion comes out when we talk about different things to do with the family. I think she's that's just the way it was and that's the way it is, you know. So. Yeah. And do you feel, so some people may say you're quite matter of fact. Do you feel that, I know you looked at your history yeah. of your mum and dad who brought you up and said, yeah. I don't have any of their nature stuff. Do you feel when you look at your natural birth mother, you do have some of the natural parts from her? Definitely. And which bits would they be? Well, I think I am quite matter of fact, but I'm also quite emotional. Okay. You know, I mean, there are there are parts of the story here, especially that bit where I was saying about I sat down and wrote the card. Hmm. You know, that 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 was that touched a nerve even this morning, and I've talked about that lots of times. Yeah. So, um, you know, I am somebody that wears my heart on my sleeve, which she definitely doesn't. Um, but you know, thinking about Fiona, my my sister, she definitely does. So I think there are there are elements of me in my in my nature that are definitely in that direction. And by the way, when I first met Ian, he was the first person I'd ever seen in my life. And bear in mind, I'm in my mid fifties or so by then. He's the first time I'd ever seen anybody in my life that looked anything resembling me. Okay. So he had a full head of hair as well. Uh, he's got some hair. <laughs> he's got some he's hair. certainly got more than me. He's about six foot eight as well, and he was a grenadier guardsman. So with his bearskin on, he would have been about yeah. seven foot. Um, he's a couple of years younger than me. He's two or three years younger than me. But um, um, so I'm in charge. But, <laughs> but I think, except I'm not. But um, then I've got uh, Robert, who um, who again looks like me. And then you got Fiona. It was just. It was seeing somebody that looked vaguely like me. Yeah. And, and uh, my, my cousin uh, Maureen, um, through their family, gave me a picture of a great-grandfather or something. And it could be me in Edwardian dress. Wow. It's just extraordinary. I got it on my, on my side at home. It's a photo that I have. And people say, who's that? I said, I don't know, but he's one of me. <laughs> He's related to me. Part of my history. Um, Steve, thank you so much for, well, I say coming in. I mean, you're here anyway because you run the station. But thank you so much for coming in the studio today and telling us all about your adoption story. It's uh, it's been fascinating for me. I hope everybody else has enjoyed hearing it as well. How's it made you feel talking about it live on air? I'm always happy to talk about it. It's, uh, I think, uh, my friends say I should write it down. It's a good book. Mm. Because, by the way, we've only done the bit up to up to as it were when i first met muriel and i met the others you know my my 
my siblings, there's another whole story that sits on top of that. Wow. It's quite extraordinary about mixed race marriages and people serving time and all that. It's, it's, I mean, it's, and that's probably not, this wouldn't be the forum for it because it's, they're, they're private things for those people. But, um, it is an absolutely extraordinary story. And I don't think it's finished yet. Okay. I think there's more to come. Wow. We will maybe find out about it live on it you never know but thank you so much for coming in today welcome, steve Richard. really appreciated it steve fountain on a story to tell